if smart contracts are the future, does that mean we're currently using dumb contracts? That makes sense to me. This week, we stay on the blockchain topic. Imagine if we had a bona fide Carfax type system for home purchases. What a drastic shift towards transparency that would be. Stay tuned as we wrap up this two-part series with Lucas Whaley of Lima One Capital. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott, back again this week for a second episode, Mr. Lucas Whaley. Lucas is the Senior Director of Technology at Lima One Capital, the nation's premier lender for real estate investors, and also the place that Lucas and I show up to five days of the week, every day of the week, really. Every day is game day, right? For the day job. I love it. So I want to, we have so much to get through. This is our kind of blockchain. We need a series, like a five-day-a-week series on this. But I want to start with one quick catch-up from episode one, your new business venture, Carfax for Houses, Lucas Whaley's newest venture. I think you need to to lock down the name. That could be, you may have another Carfax company coming after you, but talk to me about like this concept of Carfax for Houses, right? So I think everybody's familiar with Carfax for a car, right? It's a, what'd you say, like a database that collects information around damage to vehicles, right? Knowing that, like, when I look at a car, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know if this thing has been flooded. I don't know if it's been hit. I, I have no clue. And a good, you know, body shop could take, you know, most damaged cars and put them in at least close to like new condition. And I would be none the wiser. Similar thing with a house there, right? Like you, you just don't know. And that's why you have an inspector, you have a home inspection whenever you go to get a house, someone who kind of really lays eyes onto it, kicks the tires, looks around, sees what's going on. So what, what would that corollary be over to the house side of the fence through the lens of blockchain? Yeah. So, I mean, I know we were talking last time about, you know, some of the benefits to the actual research, real estate transaction of the purchase and you know, one thing is assuming you could verify a lot of this information, you know, you wouldn't be at just taking someone's seller's, I guess, gracious word that they itemize out all of the, the property history or repairs that they've made, nor would you be entrusting everything to an inspector. You know, you would actually have a, a property history that was verifiable, I guess, as much as possible that you could you know, take, take a look at and, and know the, the history of that property, which again, kind of parallels to the title uh, case we were discussing, but, you know, maybe even a little more, an easier, lower barrier application of that has to do around, has to do with property management, the due diligence required there. So, you know, especially these larger property management companies, verifying renters, credit, background, pet, and the maintenance schedules. That's quite a lot to manage, and you know, so the, the fact that that verification happens over and over and over between property management companies could really reduce some of the complexity there as well. So, yeah, just a couple of cases to, to tack onto our last discussion. Yeah, that rental piece is big. One, a very recent episode was with Dan Mission of June Homes, and one of the Dan is a Ukrainian immigrant. Started his first real estate business when he was 11 years old. We we had 
I was doing very different things when I was 11 years old. I was not starting a business. I was playing the Legos, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was riding my bike. So super impressive human. June Holmes is the name of their company. But one of the big, one of the most exciting things that they have worked on is that rental application process. Like when I graduated college, getting an apartment and got one apartment before I got a house. So thankfully only went through that process once. But it is incredibly manual. It is a pain in the tail. It is, you know, go here, get this document, go to the bank, get a cashier's check for your deposit, like wet sign this at that time, like the authorization for credit to be pulled. And then I got to get a letter from my employer that says, you know, he's employed and he's making this much money. All you have to run around. It's like, all right, you finally find an apartment and it takes like a week or two weeks to get everything squared away. That, as you talk about kind of blockchain and the potential implications there around, you know, you do, you just have Dalton's rental profile, right, readily available and to help streamline that. So that's, and throughout this podcast, one of the things I've gotten most excited about, I think, has been that concept because of how disjointed, manual, time-consuming, inefficient it is. It just seems like an area that's really ripe for disruption. Yeah, and there's obviously some really weird ethical questions we're talking about there of having some open network where all that information is on it. So, you know, there's some scaled back version of that that probably makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it's, and again, you're reducing the role of an intermediary to verify all that. It, it makes the, uh, the market more efficient. I like it. So moving on to uh, kind of big Pandora's box here. Where do you see blockchain and distributed ledger tech really applying most easily to our world of real estate? Yeah. So this is, to me, this is the meat and potatoes of the discussion. Like all the other stuff is cool, but I think this is far more actionable for a couple of basic assumptions. So when we talk about, at least in our area, like coming from the perspective of an originator and servicer, all of the capital markets use cases, and especially with business purpose loans. You know, the as complex as all of these transactions and all these concepts sound, still they're thinking about implementing, you know, some of these technologies into these capital markets. It's still less complex, I think, than all of the legal verification, all the different parties all the barrier entry involved in something as complicated as like loan securitization. So, you know, I mean, there's just so much and, it, and it's only, I guess, increased since 2008 because of all the counterparty checks. There's a lot to unravel there, but I mean, the, the amount of firms that have to align politically to solve some of this is much, much less. And so when we start looking at private permission blockchain technologies, which there's a there's a few out there right now. And so that's basically where a firm or firms gets to decide who's a part of this network, what the consensus around transactions in this network is. So basically what is and what isn't a valid transaction. And really all the permissions and definitions, those are cl- those are closely held in private. I think that is a far, far more comfortable position to iterate into a lot of this. And you can really start to solve some real world use cases. And people are, you know, there was a securitization recently where distributed ledger technology is being used to handle loan remittance payments. And that has a lot of benefits where you're not just waiting around once a month to find out, you know, what uh, performance is like. So 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some real world examples that I think we're a lot closer to being able to solve with this technology attacking from this direction first. So talking about, can, can you walk through a little more some of the kind of real world examples that you referenced? Like what, what are the mechanics and what's, like, what's the future? What, is, what, is the, what are the next steps of progression for those instances? Yeah, so I mean, it really goes back to kind of, again, the order of operations here. And so the first thing is just tokenizing these assets. So creating that digital representation of these physical access that can be transacted at a much lower cost than otherwise. So from there, you really start to set up these networks and these private ledgers between all of these parties. So maybe it's a wholesale loan purchaser. It's the actual securitizing party. I will quickly show my level of understanding of capital markets, which somebody could definitely grill me on. But um, that's not my area as much. But yeah, so again, you, you kind of ease into this where you have securitization structures that are set up, you know, where you have traditional assets alongside tokenized assets. And so you can really start to iterate into this because, you know, I think there's a lot of things that distributed ledger technology could change about the entire framework and structure of a process like that. But you can really start to introduce efficiency without completely uprooting what's already there. And so, you know, at, at that point, once you iterate past their assets are tokenized, they're contained in private ledgers, there's that mixing of, of assets, both digital and traditional, I think, I think you can really start processing more on the blockchain. Yeah. And that's that seems to be, based on our conversation, maybe the biggest hurdle in front of us is the tokenization piece, right? Like we talked about in the last episode, title and how, you know, like at county records, the sophistication of those records, whether it's literally pull open a file cabinet versus fully digitized and everything in between is just massive. And so one fact that, or one kind of statistic that you've referenced is what, that like 30% of title searches have some defect that needs to be kind of manually cured, right? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember exactly where that stat came from, but yeah, somewhere about 30% of, of title search you know, they're looking at issuing the title insurance policy. There's a defect discovered that needs to be cured. So then it's like, okay, if we tokenize everything, we're just taking the physical and making it digital. But that is just one small but one massive step in the process. Then you're only transferring that problem from the physical tangible world to the digital intangible world. And so then you still have those issues and data kind of data, maybe not data integrity, but just uh, accuracy and quality issues. We're just transferring those from one world to another is, you know, just taking that title piece. And I know, you know, your, your thought is that the title piece is the big, hot, flashy one that everybody talks about, but just because of these issues and obstacles, one that's probably further down the line compared to, you know, the rental side of the rental agreement and smart contract side of the fence we were talking about. But nonetheless, like one of the biggest parts of a real estate transaction. And do you think, like, how does that, how is that going to work out? Is it going to be like we have to tidy up everything here physically and then 
like a transfer or is it, you know, stuff gets transferred and then the kinks get worked out whenever everything's digitized? Like what, how, 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 how does that even get attacked? Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to need a central party or more centralized parties to agree to that. So that way, you know, what you're signing on to the, to the ledger in this case is, is valid. So again, that kind of goes back to, let's look at more centralized permissioned technology rather than full open. So you start biting it that way. And then, like I said, you move forward because again, you know, you kind of talk about, you, you always go back to all of the parties involved in this. And so from originator all the way to investor legal verification required, you know, right now, you know, like it will say the loan securitization process, which I'm not going to do a deep dive into or anything, but all of the costs, the legal costs associated with that, and all of the duplicative infrastructure required, you know, technically for one, and the duplicative work just to verify data between all those parties. I think it's a lot more reasonable to say like, hey, if we had a distributed ledger that all of these parties are viewing and transacting in, that is still less complex than what's going on right now. Yeah, that's fair. It's so crazy. It's, this is definitely the most tough to tackle topic that we've had on the podcast. And every topic we jump into, every subtopic within blockchain that we jump into, there's like a million branches on every single topic that you can run through. It's just really crazy. So what are there any states or countries that are like at the tip of the spear with regards to really utilizing blockchain around real estate? Or is it really disparate? Is there any any real leader in this movement, I guess you would call it? As far as, I mean, I think there is a US-based lender doing this right now. What risks are there? What risks are alleviated? Risk, 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 right? We're on the lending side of the fence. Mitigating risk, that's our chief job, right? Uh, it's, you know, yes, we're a lender, we're going to lend money out, but we're always conscious of risk. So talk to me about that through the lens of kind of the capital market side of the fence. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the, I guess, the whole securitization process really is to set to redistribute risk, breaking up. You know, you know, different roles, different parties involved in the transaction. So there's a lot of, you know, in some of these transactions, there's a lot of lag between the movement of collateral and I guess in some cases, settlement of that really, which can lag days behind risk control. So, you know, all that is to say, if you're monitoring something on a daily basis, you know, a lot can happen in two or three days over the weekend. Exposure, for example, if you're monitoring, you're looking at exposure daily and you're looking at this daily and it takes two or three days for the collateral to actually change hands. There's a lot of risk associated. There could be, a, you know, almost like a jump there, really. And so if we talk about speeding and easing that transaction time, that just in its structure reduces a lot of, of risk. And then, you know, again, there's always the risk that, you know, through this, there could be errors associated either with data, with loans, or errors between parties, such as you know the you know the different legal checks and processes that go on during an effort like that. As soon as you start to clean that up, and again, you know you don't have all this disparate data; it's more central, centrally viewed. 
it, it would clean up you know, in a lot of ways. Hard to quantify, I guess, from where, I, from where I'm you know, sitting. It's obviously not necessarily my area, but certainly something probably easier to tack- tackle than everything we talked about on the consumer side. Lucas, you hung in there with me for two episodes. This really, like you and I talked in between episodes, no crazier, more down the rabbit hole topic I can think of than blockchain right now. And it's just this beautiful mess of progression and transparency that we are, you know, you see bit by bit changes and improvements, but we've just barely scratched the surface and it's tough to really theorize 10, 20, 50 years down the road, how this is going to impact. It's just, it just is going to be a completely different world. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know if it would call it like an event horizon, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to think about what some of this may look like given the progression of, you know, these technologies, but certainly, you know, it's something that we should be thinking about because it is coming. And, you know, at least it's interesting. Like I said, you know, I think we could do a, a couple of hours on some of these topics and, and dig into some areas. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it does present a, an opportunity for disruption. And it's hard to prescribe degrees of certainty to any of that as well. And so uh, I take a very cautious view uh, to a lot of this. And hopefully I didn't make too many crazy statements here. <laughs> no, you're you're tame. You're good. You're good. I, Lucas, I learned a ton chatting with you over these two episodes. Can't thank you enough for carving out time. No, I appreciate you having me, Dalton. Uh, anytime. Thanks so much to you, Lucas. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.